Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an interview for you with the host of The Sporkful, Dan Pashman. Yes. And you know what? I have a very big regret about this interview. Oh, which yeah? I actually think is a really good thing. But we didn't ask him about sporks. Oh, my heck, we didn't. And we had that whole, we found that whole website that had those, like, sad poems about, like, how sporks are useless. Yeah, yeah, like, lamenting the fate of the spork. And not a single spork question was asked. Yeah, this, we really fell down on the job. I bet he gets that question a lot, though, so it's probably good. But it haunts, I just want you all to know, it haunts (laughs) my food podcaster brain (laughs) that I didn't bring that up. Uh, I, I think I, the only thing haunting my brain about that interview was that, man, like I was having a rough day and I felt like I wasn't being human the entire time. Like, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're like you're talking hypothetically, but yeah. you're not sure if what you're saying is coming across as like normal human conversation? Yes. I, I Not only do I feel that way over on Stuff I've Never Told You, the podcast, we just did an episode about that. Oh, really? Yeah, how interesting it is to be in a medium where being a normal (laughs) conversation, well, not normal necessarily, but conversational human is sort of the job. Yeah. (laughs) And what happens on days where, you know, that's just not, it's just for whatever reason, not firing off. like Not how you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, I think, I I like to think that that's what gives us our charm. (laughs) I like, I feel like your voice kind of indicate how you said charm captures our charm. There's sort of a note of panic in there. Um, And and all this to say, it was a delightful interview, I thought. It was very fun. Oh my goodness, yes. I had had such a good time talking with Dan. It was a very bright spot in my day. And so, uh, so yeah, without further ado, let's get into the interview. You're joining us today, Dan. Welcome to the show, Dan Pashman of The Sporkful. Hey, thanks you guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um yeah, and and you're 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 joining us because the Sporkful is 10 years old. I yes, seems like just yesterday. <laughs> no, it doesn't actually. It feels like 20, but anyway. <laughs> um yes, it's, it's an exciting milestone. 
Huh. Um, and uh, y'all started out, um, so so Saver is, is a little bit younger than that. Annie and I have both been in the podcasting space for just about that long, gosh, but not in the food podcasting space. But it seems like y'all started up The Sporkful with a very similar idea to why we wanted to start Saver to kind of like like remove food from, from this pedestal or like monolith that it seems to exist in in popular culture and kind of make it more accessible because it is accessible and it's worth understanding. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the, the, the motto of The Sporkful is it's not for foodies, it's for eaters. Um, and so, you know, it's a big part of what we do. And, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm not a chef. Uh, I waited tables for a couple of years, but I'm not, I mean, I'm maybe an above average home cook, but I'm, I'm not any great expert on food. I, um, don't really care about celebrity chefs. I kind of am very turned off by chef worship. I don't care who has the hot new restaurant. I'm not going to wait for a table there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or anywhere. I want my food now. Um, and, and so, you know, I started the Sporkful because I right, because I feel like there's a lot of people who love to eat and are passionate about food and maybe even passionate about cooking, but don't are not interested in food as a status symbol, are turned off by that world, don't care about fancy chefs. In fact, for that, I think it was I think it was it was four or five years of the Sporkful before I interviewed my first chef. Wow. I had a rule for years. I was like, I'm not interviewing any chefs. I'm going to do a food podcast without interviewing chefs. <laughs> that was my goal. <laughs> um, and I made it a good four or five years. And then I, the first chef I had on was this guy named Tyler Cord, who had written a book all about broccoli and, cook, and cooking and eating broccoli and how much he loved broccoli. <laughs> and his restaurant in New York, he was famous for uh, a broccoli sub. And that all just seems so weird and ridiculous that I was like, all right, I'll let this guy in. Like, he just seems too quirky. He's obviously not, you know, not a snob. And what I learned from talking to him and then eventually sort of the wall came down. I was like, all right, it turns out that actually like a lot of chefs are pretty down to earth and they have the same kind of obsessive eye for detail that I have when it comes to eating. You know, like I love to nerd out on the details of the eating experience just from the eater's perspective, not from the fancy chef's perspective. And so it turns out that actually a lot of chefs think about food the same way I do. Oh, yeah. I would say that, well, uh, so I'm biased because my father was a chef um, uh, or, or a cook or, you know, like a guy who stood around in kitchens smoking too many cigarettes, however you really want to phrase it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, so, so so I've got a little bit of bias there, but I would say the chefs are some of the most down-to-earth humans you could ever possibly meet. Um, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I I don't know. I haven't met that many of the super, super fanciest ones. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it's one of those funny things like, you know, they spend all, all day at work cooking these elaborate dishes and taking care of other people. And then really all they want at the end of the day is just like to eat something like very simple and homey and have someone else make it for them so they don't have to do it. And they're very happy. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My By the time he got home, my dad was down for cooking like macaroni and cheese whiz, and that was essentially it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, did people assume that you're, you must have eaten really well at home because your dad was a chef? Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, you know, when, when he did go all out for holidays or something, um, those those few holidays that he wasn't working, it, it would be something um, uh, technically beautiful. Um, but but it was it was so rare. I mean, you know, like like because usually, yeah, he would get home and he would just be like, I don't know, man. Like, can we can we order like a like a Philly cheesesteak or something? Like, what's right. what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, and and you know, I. I do think about it sometimes. I'm not totally positive because um, he had he had entered into retirement um, uh, st starting maybe like five or ten years back, and uh, and I wonder sometimes if he had grown up in in the world of um, of 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 this pop culture fascination with, with chefs and and restaurants um, and and the whole Instagrammability of everything. If if he would have survived in that environment. Right, like would he would he have survived? Would he have thrived? Would he have done better right. or worse sure. or or the same? Yeah, it is interesting to me the degree to which Instagram influences food. You know that there are restaurants now. I forget which magazine it was. Did their like you know ten best new restaurants of the year? And the number one was this restaurant in Oklahoma City. And the guy who wrote the column basically said, you know, I I wouldn't have even gone to Oklahoma City except for the fact that I saw people sharing the food from this restaurant on Instagram. 
and mm-hmm. enough people shared it, and it looked interesting enough that I decided wow. to go there and try it, and now I'm naming it the best new restaurant in America. And so you see that the power of that. But you know, so, so, so on one hand, like that's great. It's great that a restaurant in Oklahoma City can you know can get noticed by you know me, big national media that are like predominantly on the coasts. So that's a good thing. Um, the downside is that like um, you know it puts a lot of focus on the way. Oh, look, the presentation of food has always been part of food, oh, but sure. it puts so much onus on how does the food look in a photograph. Um, and, and I think it also leads to a lot of sort of gimmickry in restaurants. Like, you know, let's bring someone out from the kitchen, do some kind of song and dance that people will, will put a video on Instagram. Remember Salt Bay that was cool for like five minutes? Uh-huh. That's the best thing about COVID is it probably shut that guy down. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like this guy who comes out and like, you know, does some sort of dance and salts your steak at the table. And from I don't know, five probably feet charges away. double for yeah. it. Right, yeah. I mean, like, I don't understand why that's like... <laughs> It was like, and everyone Instagrams it and go crazy. But um, so some of that stuff is kind of grating. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I, now it feels like a ritual where whenever I used to get, when I used to go out with people, the food comes and then there's like a four minute like lighting and uh-huh. switching of like, you know, frame it like this. And I kind of, it's odd because I work in this world, but I'm like, can we just eat it? <laughs> We just eat it. Right, right. Well, and, and then need like, to be documented. <laughs> then you have these people who are right, like also like the flashes going off. Oh. And like, come on, like no picture with a flash is going to look good. And <laughs> like, we're restaurateurs now have to think about the lighting because they can't make it too dim because then people can't get you know like you need people to be able to take good pictures of your food and share it if because like, that's like marketing. You need that, but it also means that certain dishes like stews um, and a lot of sort of like saucy dishes. Um, I had this conversation with Professor Krishnendu Ray, who's the chair of the NYU Food Studies Department, and he was talking about how a lot of South Asian food um, that tastes incredible doesn't always photograph as well. You know, like, like mm-hmm. a, a bowl of dal or something like that that can be so good and it's such a classic staple. you got really got to know what you're doing to make it look captivating in a photo and that's sort of that sucks because doll everybody should be eating more doll <laughs> yeah yeah we shouldn't need to have gold leafed doll in order to make it more uh more right right there shouldn't people. need to be like a guy you don't need the indian salt bay coming out from the back to like throw <laughs> turmeric in from five feet away for it to be good like just make some good doll <laughs> <laughs> has this become a hit job on that guy <laughs> <laughs> He had, it, he had it coming. Finally playing out. Anyone whose star rises that quickly is bound to fall. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get hate mail from Salt Bay and his followers. Yeah, I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> right. You're going to get like a packet of like anthrax coated Malden salt. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess speaking of, you, this, you've been in this for 10 years and you talked about how you know you lost, you had these radio jobs and opportunities and you were trying to decide well, what should I do a podcast on? And you said idiosyncrasies. What's a, I think how you phrased it in your letter, yep. which I'm very interested by. But I'm just curious how it, it feels to have gone from that to having people asking you to weigh in on the wrap versus the burrito and then having someone claim that you don't have the expertise to even claim right, it right. on this. No, I mean, it's, it, it's the whole thing's crazy. Yeah, like I mean, I, I started... You know, it was always my dream to host a radio show that became host my own podcast, but I kept getting laid off from jobs in radio. So I said, I'll start my own podcast. This is 10 years ago, and at least no one can cancel it but me. Um, and slowly but surely, it's grown. You know, but yeah, I, 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 when I first started, it was just like, let's just obsess over the most ridiculous food minutia in search of new and better ways to eat. Like I spent 20 minutes talking about you know, the ideal surface area to volume ratio of ice cubes and what the best <laughs> shape of ice cubes is for different purposes. <laughs> Since then, the show has grown and evolved, I think. Um, but that was what it was in the early days. And um, I'm the kind of person who, who would think about these things, even though I was not a chef at all. Like, I would think about the ice cubes or thinking about what's the best bite. If you take a sandwich and you cut it on the diagonal, like a, like a, a white bread sandwich, you cut it on the diagonal, you have that triangle in your hand. What's the best first bite? Should you take it from one of the acute angles or do you take it from the hypotenuse? Oh, no. You know, and, there, and I don't know if there's a right or wrong. There's pros and cons to both, but it sure is a fun debate to have. <laughs> um, so these, these are my idiosyncrasies. These are the things that I think about, you know, that I was like, well, this might be a podcast. And so 
it grew, and you know, I, I also you know, I come from a long line of lawyers, so it became opinions about, you know, is a burrito a wrap? I say yes. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Yeah, that's a bit of a tired debate now, but but uh, I was in the early I was in the early part of that. I was a forefront. I was in the forefront <laughs> of the is a hot dog a sandwich debate. I'll have you know. Um, so it's your fault, and, uh, <laughs> right? Yes, I'll take responsibility for that. Um, I do believe a hot dog is a sandwich, and so people just love these debates, and yeah, it's like I, somehow I. I guess because I was the one of the few people having these debates early on. I I, I was an expert by default because <laughs> there was nobody else talking about it. <laughs> um, I remember when I think it was Giancarlo Stanton, a baseball star. I think he was in the Marlins at the time. He was photographed taking like a four bar Kit Kat, and he bit into the whole thing. He bit across the perforations, oh, and mm-hmm. the internet went insane. And other baseball players were giving him a hard time about it, <laughs> and like. Fox 5 New York sent a news truck to my house, like 45 miles outside New York City, <laughs> to set up a camera crew in my living room to get my comment on this approach to eating a Kit Kat. And I was like, this is really out of hand. Like, I don't know. Like, there's got to be more important news out there. <laughs> but the Is a Burrito Rap one, that one, I, I got hired to be an expert witness. I mean, this is, it was, it was hilarious. So, Long story short, is this like strip mall in Canada, Waterloo, Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. And so often when a restaurant gets a lease in a strip mall, there'll be a clause in the lease. In the case of it was a pita place that said, uh, it's called the pita pit. And in their lease, it said that the, the landlord won't lease space to any other restaurant that would be too similar, that would compete. And in their case, the lease said they won't lease space to another restaurant that sells wraps. So the PETA place had a lease that said the landlord promises not to give any other space to anyone who sells wraps. Well, the landlord gave a lease to Holy Guacamole Burritos, and the PETA pit said, wait a second, burritos are wraps. And the landlord said, no, they're not. And the and PETA pit <laughs> said, yes, they are. We're taking your butt to court. <laughs> and I got hired to, to write an affidavit, a sworn affidavit in which I argued that burritos are, in fact, wraps. And um, the opposing side's rejoinder, their response to my affidavit was, we don't think Pashman's an expert. <laughs> oh, snap. <Yeah. laughs> so, but I'll have you know that the courts took our side and we won. Okay. Okay. I was about to say, did you already, like, did you do research to come to this? Or did you already have, like, a knee-jerk, no, I think burritos well, I, 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 had, I had been making this case before, and I want to be very clear, because people get upset, especially people who come from, <laughs> from like, Southern California or uh, northern, any part of California, really, where, where burritos are especially a big deal, um, or that Tex-Mex burritos are a little different. But so, you, but the point is, like, People who are passionate about burritos take it as an insult for a burrito to be called a wrap because they think of wrap and they think of like an airport sandwich wrap. Right. You know, like, like mm. which is, you know, and I'm not, it, this is not a statement on quality. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about quality. <laughs> yes, the vast majority of burritos are better than pretty much all sandwich wraps. Um, I'm, it's just about structure. What is, the, how is the food made? And if you're going to take some sort of flour tortilla and wrap anything inside it, you are making a wrap. Some wraps are better than others, but they're still all wraps at the end of the day. I can hear the lawyer. <laughs> I can hear it. Yeah, yeah, I told you, yeah. <laughs> my grandfather was a judge. My dad was a lawyer. My brother's a lawyer. I'm sort of the oddball. <laughs> oh no! It sounds like you're f- absolutely following in their footsteps, <laughs> right? <laughs> in my own weird way, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, what's your what? Speak, speaking of strong opinions that people may or may not get mad about, so um, so this whole cosmic crisp apple thing, that's yes. still happening, and and I mean, for- it's just really kicking off now. I mean, last year was sort of the the, the initial preliminary release of the, like, this new apple, soft open, th- yeah, right. But this fall is the big release. Yeah. So, okay. So for, for, for anyone who hasn't heard about this, this is this apple that is 20 years in the making. Um, uh, the, these researchers have been trying to put together just the best possible apple, like hundreds of millions of dollars in investment, a $10 million marketing budget. Speaking of Instagram, they have had in, Insta influencers out there talking up this apple. <laughs> what? How? Have you had one of these? I have. I have. Well, I, and I had to kind of divide them because I've had some that I bought at a supermarket and then I had some that the Cosmic Crisp people sent to me. Oh, okay. The oh. ones that they sent to me were like pretty amazing. 
But I'm sure that the ones they reserve for like press are like the absolute, you know, most pristine samples. Um, the ones that I bought in the store were also very good. Look, there, it's a very good apple from to my like to my taste. Like, and you know, when you think about the you know an apple, there's a lot that goes into. We take a step back. You go to the grocery store. There's green grapes and red grapes. Uh-huh. There's maybe a couple kinds of oranges. There's maybe a couple kinds of tomatoes. There's pretty much one kind of strawberries. There's one kind of celery. Um, and it's not that there aren't other kinds of strawberries or celery or bananas that exist. It's just that there's only one that has sort of become the one that gets mass produced and shipped to supermarkets. Apples are the one fruit that has sustained, even in our sort of mass market um, big food industry world, that we have a wide range of different types of apples and that the the average consumer knows about them. It's not just some sort of high-end foodie thing. Like everyone knows Red Delicious and Golden Delicious, Honey Crisp. And then you may have a few more, depending on where in the country you are, you get some other different ones. But I would bet that most Americans can name five different types of apples. And and, and there are real differences. There's there's how, how crunchy or soft is the interior? How much does the skin snap? Is it a shiny, slick, smooth skin? Or is it more that like dry, sandpapery skin? How sweet is it? How juicy is it? How tart is it? All of these things have to be calibrated. And the Cosmic Crisp is like, it's like the way that our computer monitors keep getting brighter and brighter, like the way the saturation keeps getting turned up to like Uh the point that now like they burn your eyeballs because they're so bright. The colors are so vivid. That's the Cosmic Crisp. It's like the juiciness, the sweetness, the tartness, the crunch. (laughs) Everything has been turned up to 11. And like, that's pretty great. That being said, like they're huge which sometimes like too big and they're not cheap. They're, you know, they're pretty close to Honeycrisp prices. Yeah. You know, my wife, my wife, I don't know about you guys. My wife doesn't let me buy Honeycrisp. She's like, we don't make Honeycrisp money. Oh no, like, that's only a special occasion sale. apple. Right, yeah. you're right, right. That's, yeah, that's like a birthday. It's your birthday, you get Honeycrisp. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so there are downsides, but like, it's a very good apple. I think, didn't you describe it as the Technicolor apple? Yes, it's like, te- you're right. It's like, it's, 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 it's just <laughs> the, it's so vivid. Everything, every, metric by which you would judge an apple is like Mm. amped up. You can tell that they spent 20 years breeding it for each one of these traits. I am so fascinated by this. I, it is, um, you know, like, like you have to pay royalties to grow this apple. (laughs) Like, right. That's one of the interesting things I learned about working on this episode of the Sporkful, which is that, um, yet now this is the way apples are made is that there are these apple clubs and, a university, in the case of Cosmic Crisp, it's the University of Washington, or, or uh, uh, some sort of collective, they develop the apple, and then they license the right to grow it to a select number of growers. And so you have to pay for the right to grow it and the right to use, and, and the name of the apple is trademarked. It's not just like a generic plant name. And so you have to pay for the right to use the name and to sell it under the name. But the flip side is that that controls supply and demand. So so what, what the Apple Club says is, look, you pay us for the right to grow these apples, but what we're going to do in exchange is that we're going we're gonna to put a bunch of money behind marketing this specific type of apple. So that gives you an incentive to get in. And also we're going to control the number of growers who can grow it. So you don't have to worry about the market being flooded. You're getting something special here. And so that, that acts as a, as a pretty good incentive because in the past, it takes a couple of years for an apple tree to bear fruit. So if you have, you know, and look, most apple growers aren't getting rich. If you're going to say, look, I got X number of trees that are making me a pretty good living, it's a big risk to start swapping out the varieties and you have trees that are taking a while and then you don't know if anyone's going to buy that apple when the apple comes out. So these apple clubs are trying to counteract that. And and so it makes for this kind of interesting business model. And the Cosmic Crisp is in line to make the University of Washington quite a lot of money. Huh. (laughs) Uh, that's a pretty great name. It's it's like because it looks like stars, right? Cosmic part. Yeah, it's got these like little. I mean, to me, looking at stars were a little bit of a stretch. I think the way that someone else described it was good. It was um, freckles. They, uh, they, they look like little yellow freckles on the red surface, mm-hmm. and and I mean, maybe if you get the right one, it could look a little bit. It could look kind of like stars, but there's like, like a speckling, a dusting. Huh. But, but yeah, but what a name, right? That's like a that, that sounds like a high C flavor that I would have been really into <laughs> when I was right, in elementary right. school. <laughs> well, it's also funny, like I feel like this is you, you see a general trend in the way that foods are named now. I think it's a trend in marketing and branding in general, which is that things are less literal and more evocative. So like it used to be we'd name an apple red delicious. Well, let's look, okay, it's red, and we want people to think it's delicious. 
what should we call it? <laughs> you know, like, let's not break the budget. Let's just go with Red Delicious. <laughs> but, you know, and 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 I when I was a kid, Gatorade flavors were actually like orange was a flavor. <laughs> like, you know, not just a color. You know, now Gatorade flavors are like Arctic Blast. Like, no, no but Arctic Blast isn't a flavor. You know, no. that's an experience. But that's what they want you to, they want to describe how you're going to feel when you consume this drink, not what it tastes like. And the same idea with Cosmic Crisp of, of this sort of idea that it, it evokes an emotion more than it tells you what it's going to be like to eat it. That's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about, um, oh, those dreaded millennials and everything they've ruined, um, which I am one. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like this whole Instagram kind of tying in with that of like wanting an experience and and that being a separate thing than just being at home and I'm tired and I just want to eat something that's good and easy. Right. Um, but kind of seeing both of those things play out at the same time and often in the same, like I, I can be guilty of Instagramming food and I can also be guilty of just eating mac and cheese and loving, loving every second of it. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. But I, I wonder if, like if mac and cheese were named something different when, yeah. it, when it first Ooh. sort of gained national, you know, would it, I mean, mac and cheese has been around for a very, very long time yeah. in America, a hundred, couple hundred years, but you know, in, in some form. Yeah. But like, if it was called something different, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, what would be, what would be a modern day version of a name for mac and cheese? Like if, if, if blue Gatorade is whatever, like Arctic freeze, <laughs> what's what, like, like you feel like it's very cozy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a com- and, comfort yeah. hug with cheese. Yes. Yeah. Like warm blanket. <laughs> maybe, maybe I would call it cheesy hug. Cheesy hug. Cheesy hug. Yeah. You know? That's right. I would buy a product called cheesy hug. I would buy it right, right. now. Oh, oh yeah. Exactly. All the time. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. That's another interesting point though. Cause that comes up a lot on our show of how a lot of these foods that were considered like poor foods get elevated and then you're paying like $10 for your mac and cheese or your because now it has a different name and maybe it's been made Instagrammable and suddenly it's got truffle little, oil and yeah. yeah right <laughs> yeah. right yeah no totally yeah those things are what a scam well <laughs> that I have so much to say about this because like first of all like lobster is a perfect example like lobster used to be plentiful yeah. in Maine they would serve it to prisoners it was called the cockroach of the sea now they put lobster in mac and cheese, which is also like the dumbest thing because like <laughs> you can't taste lobster. Like I, I'm not even the biggest lobster fan. Like I like lobster rolls more than I like a big fancy steamed lobster. But right. <laughs> but like you, you if you put lobster in a giant thing of mac and cheese, like you're not tasting that lobster. You're just wasting your money. And also, most truffle oil isn't even made from truffles. Right. Goodness. Yeah, lobsters are like worse crabs. I don't understand the entire fascination of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, we're going to get a lot of interesting listener mail from this. I love it. We are all about strong opinions. So, yeah, yeah. this is great. <laughs> we do have some more of this interview for you, listeners. But first, we have a quick break forward from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy piña colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Hole. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. 
And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us, to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off, no dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian cocktail maker, it's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Let's get back into the interview. On a perhaps more serious note, um, you know, th- this summer has, I, it's fall now. It is officially fall, but um, but <laughs> but we have had just just a lot of things happening out there in the world that, have, of course, have touched the food world as well. And one of those was, uh, I think, the the intersection of the Black Lives Matter movement with um, uh, Bon Appetit, one of the, you know, kind of mainstays of food journalism, um, food entertainment journalism in our country. You've talked to a few guests on your show who were involved in that, right? Yeah, when, it, when, it, when all that first started going down, there were a lot of people probably heard, but if you haven't, they're basically— allegations of systemic racism at Bon Appetit, which had kind of been on a low simmer in the food world for a long time. But um, when a photo surfaced of the editor-in-chief in in brownface, uh, it was a photo from many years ago, but it sparked uh, a lot of people coming forward with a a long list of serious concerns about the way things have been done there for a long time, leading right up to the present. And he was forced to resign. Another executive was forced to resign. Um, And at the end of the day, it wasn't about the brownface photo. It was about all the, you know, that just was the, Spark. Yeah. And we did an episode about that uh, on on the Sporkful that turned out to be the most downloaded episode we ever did. Wow. We kind of tracked what happened. Um, We interviewed Sola L. Whaley, who was fantastic. She's one of the stars of the BA Test Kitchen videos, which, I mean, for younger people, like most younger people know Bon Appetit from the BA Test Kitchen videos. They're not reading the magazine. And so I think that there's a, a certain level of reckoning around race that's happening everywhere, I hope. Um, but it's happening, it's even more pointed in the world of food because, at least in part, because food is a stand-in for identity. And so it's a very it's a very short leap from the food a person cooks to who a person is, where they're from, where they're, you know, what their culture is. And, and so when the decisions that get made about which foods are considered better uh, which which foods get more attention? Which chefs get more attention? 
how the hierarchy of the food world is is set. Um, you know, a lot of those questions are just like so glaring, the questions around race and why aren't some foods considered as good as others? Why don't some chefs get the same opportunities that others get? And those are the kinds of questions that were coming up at Bon Appetit, you know, um, which frankly, I think like, I mean, I, I did not know the depth of it, but I mean, I, I think the people in the world of food knew that Bon Appetit was a place that had issues. Yeah, it, um, you know, it, it's one of those experiences. <laughs> I just called a magazine an experience. That's great. Um, uh, it's, 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 <laughs> It's one of those uh, things that you that you get, and um, you know, I was charmed by it as as a kid. But as I got older, I started realizing that the way that that some of these publications frame things is always from this extraordinarily white standpoint. Um, looking at anything like as far out as a curry as this exotic experience for you to have, um, and just thereby completely erasing the experience of the billions of people for whom that's a normal everyday food. We should all be eating more dal. It shouldn't need to be packaged as something exotic, like, you know. Right. No, 100%. So that was one of the issues that, that Bon Appetit had, um, which was when they would feature any dish, that, first of all, it was rare that they would feature those kinds of dishes from non-white cultures, when they did, it would sometimes be presented as like, look at this, you know, strange, look, look at this exciting, exotic thing, like which, right. Um, so there was that, but then often they would hire white chefs to be the people presenting these dishes. Um, and to be clear, you know, um, no, you know, some people hear that. And, and one of the responses I hear often is, from white people is they say, well, like, you know, that's just the world of food. You know, people experiment. You know, who, who says, don't tell me I can't cook Indian food. I can cook Indian food if I want. And I think the what people miss is, I mean, first of all, look, you can cook whatever you want in your house. No one cares. Um, do whatever you want. The issue happens when when you talk about white chefs who are putting, who are putting themselves forward in the public eye as experts in a cuisine. And in, in many cases, haven't put in all that much time and all that much work and don't really have that deep of an expertise. And you have these food media outlets that then hold them up as experts, present them as experts, give them more credibility. And these people often don't really know what they're talking about or have only a very surface understanding. And even if they do know what they're talking about, why not, like to be featured in Bon Appetit is a huge career opportunity for any chef. So why not give that opportunity to one of the chefs of color who have a much deeper level of expertise in this cuisine? Yeah, and can contextualize it. Right, right. So those are some of the issues that they were running into. You know, they, they would do things like um, Alice and Roman, the white chef, had a recipe there for something called flaky bread. And the whole recipe is presented as if it's her idea, as if she invented this new type of bread. If you And if you read it, and didn't know any better, you would think, oh, cool, Allison Roman developed this recipe. She has this way to make bread. Well, it turns out that, like, this, it was inspired by a Yemeni flatbread, but, like, there's, it's also, like, it's similar to a paratha. You know, all, there are huge regions of the world that do some variation of this bread. Allison Roman didn't invent it. It's fine for her to do it, but she should at least say, like, this was inspired by these other dishes in these cultures, and here's how I learned about it. Like, give us some context. Yeah. Um, don't act like you invented it. We've got a little bit more of this interview for you, but first, we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. <laughs> I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No Me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant. AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. Father's Day is coming. A day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us. To crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian Cocktail Maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And let's get back into the interview. As part of uh, your 10 years, it's a big milestone. Yeah. You're re-releasing um, three of the listeners voted on their favorite episodes. Um, and all of them just have amazing stories to tell. Also, uh, is it true you're learning to make a roux? It is true. Yes, yes. So for our 10th anniversary, we <laughs> listeners voted and we picked three all-time favorite episodes for us to re-release, each with a brand new update. Um, mm-hmm. So we're doing one called Searching for the Aleppo Sandwich. This was the number one vote getter. This was our quest to find out what happened to a beloved sandwich shop in Aleppo, Syria. What was this sandwich shop? What made it special? What was in those sandwiches? And what happened to it? Are the owners alive or dead? And and what can the fate of this shop tell us about the fate of Aleppo? Um, so that was one of our most popular episodes ever. So we do an update on that one. We did an update on one called Katie's Year in Recovery, in which we follow uh, a woman who's in recovery from a serious eating disorder over the course of a year. So that was like followed over the course of 2017. And then we have a more current update. And the last one was uh, Notes from a Young Black Chef with uh, Kwame Anwachi, who has an incredible story. The original episode was really just him telling his life story, uh, which is he's a great storyteller, thoughtful and hilarious. Even though that one only only aired less than a year ago, so much has happened in the world of restaurants. He's been one of the leading voices speaking out for a stimulus bill to support restaurants. Um, and so he, we had a lot to catch up on with him. So that was the three things we did for the 10th anniversary. And it's, it's all culminating with an Instagram Live 10th anniversary party tomorrow night, Saturday, September 26th, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, with Sola El Whaley, formerly of Bon Appetit, and Carla Hall. And Sola is going to be teaching me how to make a roux. It is true. 
Annie, <gasps> I have made it 10 years as a podcast <laughs> oh. host, a food podcast host, without knowing this most basic culinary <laughs> task. <laughs> I um, was not judging. I've only done it once, and I can't remember if it, yeah, it was successful. I mean, so I hear that it's wasn't. moronically <laughs> simple, but I, 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 it had become a sort of point of pride. In the same uh, way that I yeah. didn't interview chefs at the beginning, I was yeah. like, I'm not, you know, all the other food podcasters know how to make a roux. I'm not going to do it, you know. Uh, <laughs> Well, so, yeah. certainly wish you the best of luck on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have total faith in you. <laughs> yeah, yes. thank you. And if you, yes. miss, if you missed the Instagram live, we'll post it to IGTV. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at the Sporkful, and uh, you can watch it there later. Uh, Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I love all of this. I love that um, that these episodes that you're bringing back that people voted on um, are such globally influenced episodes, and that those are the ones that really struck home with people. And I and I hope that that's indicative of of these past ten years that you've spent in podcasting and how the world is kind of turning around to be a little bit more self reflexive about about food and what it's doing with that. Yeah, I, I, that's a nice way to put it. I think I, I hope so. I hope so. You know, I think that certainly. The show has evolved a lot since I started it 10 years ago and in the early years was probably very narrow in its focus. It was mostly like food that I eat and, you know, grew up eating. And at a certain point like that got tired and I was like, I want to broaden our audience. I want to connect with listeners on a deeper level and be more thoughtful and just make the show more ambitious. And so that's sort of taken us into this new, to some of these episodes that we're talking about for the 10th anniversary and and yeah, it's just kind of, um, I still keep learning. Like I, when I started the podcast, I was a little worried because I was like, I love food. I love to eat. If this becomes my career, will that take the fun out of it? You know? And I, that was really, I was really worried that that, that that would be the case. And, but I, I think that I can now say that that has not happened. And in <laughs> fact, the opposite has happened, which is that I've learned more and more about food and culture and people um, and that has only increased my fascination. And now I'm more interested, more passionate. And there's more that I want to know and more that I want to learn. So as long as that's the case, I'll keep doing it. Yeah. Heck yeah. And that's great because that's how you started with, you know, focused more on people, more on eaters. And it seems like through this time that that's only strengthened. And, and we definitely see it when we get letters from listeners and it's always so beautiful. It's like, I could have just mentioned that as a kid, I did this growing up and five people will write in and they're like, oh, I have a story that connects to that. And you brought back memories to this and just these human connections people form over food and food experiences. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I remember learning that lesson when I was a producer at Air America Radio years ago. I produced Mark Marin's show there. And, you know, that was supposed to be like a news and politics and like political comedy show. And that's most of what it was. But then like, you know, once an hour, Marin would like say something about his cats. He had adopted these like feral cats <laughs> and the phone lines would light up, you know, everyone would be like, tell us more about the cats. And we're like, why yeah. are we even, you know, so, you know, yeah. um, you know, it's just like, but, but, you know, people love to connect with other people around things like that. You know, those little personal details. Mm -hmm. And people have opinions about food. People have opinions about burrito wrap. Mm -hmm. I love it. Mm -hmm. I yeah, love it. Yeah, and if you, if anyone out there is involved in any sort of lawsuit and you need an expert witness, <laughs> please. <laughs> I'm available for hire. I'll write you a great affidavit. I'm 1-0. I'm undefeated. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> you could have a nice little side gig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, in the future, in the future, uh, what do you have planned on the horizon? Aren't starting a network, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, network probably makes it sound more impressive than it is. But yes, <laughs> I'm, uh, I, we've announced that I'm launching something called Sporkful Media. And so we got a couple projects in development. One is a new food podcast with Stitcher, who uh, I'm happy to produce the Sporkful with. And um, uh, that will be one that I will help create and produce, but will not host. Uh, so that'd be a nice opportunity for us to you know, give other voices in the world of food an opportunity and hopefully use the Sporkful to help grow that show. And then I'm developing a TV show with 0.0 .0 Productions. They're the same folks who do W. Kamau Bell's CNN show. They do David Letterman's Netflix show. Um, they did all of Anthony Bourdain's shows. Oh, cool. Yeah. So they do fantastic work. So, yeah. So we're going to develop concepts with uh, on those two fronts and then kind of see where it leads. You know, I don't have some, uh, there's no investors. I'm not hiring up a giant staff. 
but I'm excited to start producing other things and, you know, to just sort of like follow it where it leads us. I, I don't want to like grow just for the sake of growing. Um, I want to grow because it's an opportunity to do fun, exciting new projects. Absolutely. Well, we're excited to see where all that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, we're big fans. We I've used your uh, writings and podcasts and research before, so thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, take it. Take anything you want. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to touch on? You want to shout out social media or where people can find you? Subscribe to the Sporkful podcast wherever you get all your other podcasts, and I'm on social media at all the places at the Sporkful. That brings us to the end of this delightful interview. We hope it was as delightful to listen to as it was to do. We covered a lot of ground. We went bouncing all over. <laughs> as, as, as a good interview does, yes. Um, uh, yeah, so, so do check out that live stream um, on Saturday, September, what day is it? 26th. Yes. Yes. That's if you're listening to this episode as it comes out. That is tomorrow. Um, and if you if if you if you miss it when it's live, then uh, check it out later on. Yep. And uh, go check out Sporkful if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. And also, if you want to contact us, <gasps> you can. We yes. have an email, a bright shiny email, and it is <laughs> hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard, and the entire Sporkful team for helping make this happen. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have supervision, enhanced hearing, extraordinary reflexes, to be, dare we say, superhuman? Well, Roku's new Pro Series TV can't do any of that for you. But with a 4K screen, side-firing speakers, and a blazing fast refresh rate, it'll sure feel like it. Elevate your entertainment using all your favorite apps like iHeart and play all your music, radio, and podcasts with the new Roku Pro Series. Your senses aren't better. Your TV is. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.